0: now for Scoops with Danny Mack, the podcast on 101 ESPN.
1: All right, welcome into the show. This is the Thursday edition of Scoops with Danny Mack. Sky Manziara is with us. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Scotty, uh, you having a good day so far? Yeah, man. Everything's great. It's Thursday morning. The sun's shining. The weather is
2: great. Can you imagine 70 degrees in November? It's, It's so 2020, right? I
1: was just thinking about how much I would love to go down to Mizzou or to another college town. I know Mizzou is off this weekend, but another college town. And have like a full tailgating experience with this kind of weather. This is perfect.
2: This is amazing. It's perfect. I can't remember the last tailgate that I went to that would be like this later than week six now, halfway through the season almost. I mean, we're past week eight in the NFL. I can't remember the weather being like this. You have to bundle up. You're cold.
1: No, you're kind of throwing back drinks just to stay warm. It was cold the last couple of weeks, and now we're getting into you know Thanksgiving weather and sometimes Thanksgiving is warm here in St. Louis depending on the year it's off and on but man the weather's been awesome supposed to be awesome this weekend so hey it's a football experience baby you got some great college football games Notre Dame Clemson Florida Georgia so if you're looking for some suggestions those that's where I would start now I'm going to promote something that we have on our air tonight we have got Thursday night football we do So, Adam Schefter, uh, there's been some talk because of COVID-19 that would the game get canceled? COVID-19 has hit uh, the 49ers. You know, it's San Francisco. It's Green Bay. Will we have Thursday Night Football on ESPN Radio tonight?
3: Right now, it's going to be played. And short of there being a number of positive tests tomorrow on Thursday... I don't see another way. I asked somebody this evening, what are the chances this game gets postponed, pushed back, canceled? And I was told 0%. Now, there's always a chance that something could happen, but I think that gives you a window into the thinking of some of the people surrounding this game and involving this game. They're determined to play it. They're planning to play it. And right now, by all indications, they are going to play it. All right.
1: So Adam Schefter says we got uh, a little football coming up. Now, another thing I'm going to promote is that going into football tonight alex ferrario joey vitalia they have this week in hockey they have a great guest coming up they got mike emmerich who just retired no way so mike emmerich is going to be part of their show and we're going to talk uh with alex ferrario coming up later in the program also chris may director of athletics at st louis university one of the things though i want to get into with alex i thought ryan o'reilly should be the captain of the blues I still think he might be the captain of the blues, but I want to bring this up to him and I'm not thinking outside the box. Maybe you've thought about this as well. I'm thinking Colton Pareko, you know, this is going to be a sixth year in the league. They're turning the defense or at least that side of things over to him. Now with Petro gone, I wouldn't mind seeing him be the captain. It, Hey, why not? You know, he's going to be on the power play. He's going to play in a ton of different situations on the ice. He's going to get a ton of minutes, time to take the next step. Now, some people would say, is that too much responsibility? I say no. I love that the guy's always around town. You go to a Billiken game, he's there. You're at a Cardinal game, he's there. So community-wise, he's around. That's fine. That's a check mark in that box. But it's what you do on the ice. You're giving him the responsibility to be a premier defenseman in the league, hey, why not put the C on his chest too and make him a cornerstone guy for years to come? I think it's something you got to think about.
2: I would wonder what Alex is going to say. Now, the brief encounters that I've got to know Colton Braco in the locker room, I just know that his personality is much more of a quiet guy. Not to say that captains and leaders can't be quiet at all, but I just picture so much of Ryan O'Reilly and his leaderness ability by leading by example too and in the way that he would talk to his teammates that's just me, I just don't even think that I can accept anybody else except Ryan O'Reilly at
1: this point. Yeah, I get it. Uh, five seven three. What are the chances Danny Mack, Andrew Kisner works on defense at third base in the offseason? Option to get his bat in the lineup, I guess depends on the team's plan at catcher and if they trust Kisner behind the plate. Um no. I think if they do anything, that's my guess. Kisner is going to be and he did this in spring training a little bit, was at first base. So let's just say he becomes a really good player in terms of his offensive abilities and you want to give him a day off behind the plate. He could get some time to fill in for Goldschmidt at first base or be a DH but those days at third base. No, he is a catcher. They're working on his defensive capabilities behind the plate. I thought he made great strides from what I saw and even in spring training this year, even to summer camp 2020 Um, but you know, we don't know right now what's going to happen with Yadi or Molina. Now, to me, the option is you re sign Yadi, you bring him back for the two years, he retires as a Cardinal his full career, and, you know, it's lollipops and, and kissing babies, and he's on his way to the Hall of Fame, and hopefully he has a couple good years, and it bridges the gap to Herrera. Herrera is a very good young catcher, the Cardinals have in their system. What's that mean for Andrew Kisner? That still means he's learning under Yachty or Molina. Greg Amsinger was on this morning from MLB Network and was talking about with Randy and Michelle what maybe the perception is out there on Yachty and also Wayno and what they bring to the table for teams that are interested in their services.
0: Now I think Yachty and Molina by far, Yachty or Molina by far, he's, he's a, a, a franchise-changing one-year deal. I know he. Saying he wants a two-year contract, but if the money's right and the team is a perfect fit, I think Yadier Molina makes an instant impact right now. As much as we love Adam Wainwright in St. Louis, if you look at all the the, the metrics, spin rate on his fastball, uh, velocity, uh, perceived velocity, no one's looking at him and going, "We got a number three starter." And, and, and again, no knock on Adam Wainwright; he knows how to pitch. I still believe in guys that can do that. Um, but he's not what he used to be in terms of the raw, physical ability of a pitcher. Where Yadier Molina somehow can squat behind home plate 137 times a season and impact the game in so many different ways. Anybody that knows the game, that understands the impact of that position and realizes that you're not going to be committed for a long term. When you're looking at JT RealMuto, a guy that wants a long-term contract, if you do not land that guy plan B has to be Yadier Molina. And if he's willing to leave and he's going to bring that championship personality and that, that that intensity that he has, his ability to compete, lead his staff, come up clutch, not strike out at the plate, which is now hard to find in the game. I'm telling you, man, he is he's one of my top three storylines in the sport. I think he, he where he goes as a future Hall of Famer is, is usually... It's funny. When you say a future Hall of Famer, getting close to 40 years of age is going to leave and go somewhere else that usually doesn't impact the postseason picture and landscape. Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay did that. and He's over 40. I think Yadier Molina could have a similar type impact if you were to leave and go to a winner that's not named the St. Louis Cardinals.
1: Okay, a lot to dissect there. Number one, let's start with just a general statement. It's the eye of the beholder. So, If you are Adam Wainwright and you're the Atlanta Braves, that's a fit. And I'll tell you why. Soroka's out for the year. They had young pitching come up and perform exceptionally well. Exceptionally well. Um, Adam is the kind of guy that we've seen here in St. Louis with young players can help them. But he's also meaningful in terms of what he did just a season ago. And he's right that a lot of people are looking for spin rate, velocity, all that kind of stuff. Well, by the way, Fangraphs had Adam Wainwright as a top three guy in curveballs this year. By the way, in 2010, he was top three. Think about that. 20, 2020, 2010, 10 years later, he's top three with that. So that is a place that you could say that's a fit for Adam Wainwright. And it would make some sense if you're the Atlanta Braves. Plus, you bring a guy back home. So that's something to think about. Um, in terms of Yachty or Molina, you know, the Yankees look like they're, you know, maybe a piece away. And one of the pieces that they said, and that really is not a piece away, I mean, it's just you get into postseason play. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but you get there. Yadi is the kind of guy that if you put him behind the plate in postseason baseball, and I've said this before. If you would look at any manager and, and they give you an honest answer and they said, OK, game's on the line, game seven. And we need you to guide a pitching staff. Who do you want? You're going to say Yadier or Molina. And that's what he brings to championship teams. That's why he is important. Now, he's talking about a one-year deal. Greg was just saying that. Yachty's going to want two. You know, he's 38 years old, so he's going to want the two-year deal. He's already made that clear. That's why it would make sense here in St. Louis. So, You know, just some of the things to think about as you move forward with this. By the way, uh, Bob Nightingale has an interesting uh, tweet that he just put out. Concerning one of the top uh, players in the game, Cleveland strapped for money, intend to trade All-Star shortstop Francisco Lindor by opening day. Several uh, rival teams have been informed. Lindor earned seventeen and a half million last season. He's projected to earn about twenty-one million in salary arbitration in his final year before free agency. Hello, New York Mets. Hello, he is a perfect fit for the New York Mets. They need him. They've got the money. They could sign them long-term. They also have some prospects that they would want. So, anyway, that, that is a little hot stove. I like hot stove. This is supposed to be fun, but this year it's going to be probably tempered until you get to, I'd say January maybe, for some of these guys. Because arbitra- arbitration is not till early December. That's another wave of players that could be hitting the market if they're not uh, tendered. So, You get those guys back out there and and all of a sudden it's another wave of players that teams are going to take a look at. And that's why they're probably staying back and waiting right now.
2: And I feel like for a lot of MLB free agency, especially recently, there really hasn't been a lot of quick action right after World Series. Bang, you got somebody signing and you got all these moves going on. Usually you're waiting until after the GM meetings, the winter meetings that are going on. So right now is usually not even the time that we expect to have the hot stove really cooking. So I'm cool with it being kind of cool right now.
1: Just warming up, baby. What what if I said to you uh, the Cardinals are interested in Francisco Lindor? That uh, entice you a little bit? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think if you're any team out there, you're saying, yes, Watching him in interleague play this year, that guy is a stud on both sides, offensively, defensively. And then you got to think about signing him uh, long-term. But that would be fun. Ooh, boy, would it be fun. All right, we're going to talk it over with Chris May coming up. He is the director of athletics. A lot of interesting things to get into concerning um, just how to navigate what is a COVID-19 world if you're running an athletic department with Soccer right now at SLU, but really basketball is the, the main thing that we're talking about going forward and, and how they're going to try to get through this uh, very, very tough, complicated next couple of months, and then hopefully things cool down and you get uh, basketball full swing.
0: More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN.
1: Always great to visit with the director of athletics at St. Louis University, and that is Chris May. And yeah, there's a lot of things going on in our world, but still the sports world in college is still rolling on. And you got college basketball right around the corner. You've had soccer at SLU, different things going on. So uh, that is a busy man right now, Chris May. But first and foremost, uh, Chris, how are you and your family? And hopefully everybody is safe and doing well.
3: Hey, Dan, I appreciate it. We're all doing great. Uh, we've got a sophomore at Ladue High School. Sophia's doing great working at home here. But, uh, no, it's good. We're, uh, you know, it, there's so many moving parts in the college athletic scene right now. Um, we have our largest group of student-athletes, 405 at SLU this fall. Um, all of them training, preparing to compete. Um, the two basketball programs will start competing here at the end of November. Uh, The rest will start competing uh, at the end of January, early February. Um, So you've got 400 student-athletes and their coaches all training and getting ready in just a different environment than we ever had. But I I have to commend uh, our student-athletes and our coaches because they have really worked hard in this different environment to train and prepare to get back to competing. And that's what it's all about. It's all about – competing.
1: Absolutely. And you mentioned different environments. So try to describe that. What What is it like, the practices and the protocols of what you have to go through? And, and I guess every school is a little bit different, but what's it like at SLU?
3: Well, it, it's so different. All the way from uh, we've spent the whole fall up until now, our, our swim team is trained outdoors over in Maplewood um, using the 50 meter pool. So we haven't done that. So getting them outside and spread out. You know, if you come watch our soccer teams train, they're training with masks on, um, our baseball teams and softball teams with masks on often. Um, you know, you come watch our basketball teams and they're spread out and, uh, you know, the, the cleaning, the individual water bottles, the mass walking to and from the packaged food, as opposed to coming together for meals, um, the social distancing, the cleaning their hands, uh, it's just a different ball game, no pun intended, Dan. But uh, again, what, what I've been really encouraged by is our young people are so fired up to get to play the sports that they love. These two basketball teams, Lisa Stone and uh, Travis's team, Travis Ford's team, they have really focused on how can we be safe. And I've been unbelievably impressed by how committed those young people are to wear a mask. I mean, I'm an, I'm an old dinosaur. I feel like around them because man, it's hard for me to wear a mask sometimes. But once I came on campus one time this summer and saw the kids wear a mask walking across parking lot, okay, that's just the way this rolls. And, uh, they've done a really good job of leading and helping each other. And now we could have we could have a problem in, you know, tomorrow, but, uh, it's really, all in all, it's been a really good fall for the Billikens.
1: How about the, just in a general sense, the, the health of, of your programs, how are kids doing? And and is it, you know, with COVID-19, um, obviously there's privacy laws, but how have you guys managed to stay safe and healthy throughout this process?
3: You know, Dan, you, you asked something really interesting is, um, you know, COVID-19, we, we've we done as well as any any program across the country. You have a couple bumps, but all in all, it's gone really, really well. Something you kind of insinuated, I think you're right on, is um, the the challenges that uh, our country's having, the challenges that student athletes and all athletes are having in the mental health space. Um, we're spending a lot of time really delivering services and, and making those available. We've got an unbelievable sports uh, sports uh, uh, science mental health uh, deal run by uh, Dr. Michael Ross. And it's really in the sports psych space and how you help athletes through challenging times. Um, and so we've uh, we've really focused on what are all those pieces that we can put around all the student athletes. And uh, it's not easy, but uh, all in all, they've done a really, really good job of um, you know, getting it done through this uh, very uh, odd time.
1: Chris May is my guest. And, and Chris, we've seen in football that the SEC has a set of guidelines if a kid gets COVID-19, and we've seen that with the Big Ten and the Pac-12. What's it like uh, with the with, with your conference in, in the A-10? What's the guidelines if a kid is, unfortunately, or a coach stricken with uh, COVID-19?
3: Well, uh, that's the million dollar question that the answer changes daily, Dan. Um, the Atlantic 10 is clearly following the NCAA resocialization guidelines um, and how to get people back. Um, there's a, uh, I would say, there's not a uniform agreement. Um, out there on how to follow CDC guidelines and how to really put student athletes in position to compete. You know, you see big 10 teams shutting football teams down and not playing week after week. You see others that, and and, and some it looks like they're shut down for 21 days and others look like they're playing right away. And so that's the, uh, that's the really interesting time that we're going through right now is how do you have a set guidelines that everybody's executing on and moving on. But the A-10 is following the NCAAs, uh resocialization guidelines um it's uh it's an evolving um area of our business uh what I will tell you is we are focused on whatever it takes to ensure the safety of our of our student athletes absolutely so we're not we're not going to we're not going to take any if we if we have to not play a game we don't play a game um we will uh not take any shortcuts as it relates to making sure our student athletes are safe supported and have all the resources they need to uh, really compete at the games they're playing
1: chris may is my guest the athletics director at SLU, and you can imagine the excitement uh you probably more than anybody of this team that on the men's side they have coming back they've got veteran leadership they've got a good coach you've got young talent um just how excited once we do see basketball are you with uh, the billikins of 2020 and 21
3: well, Dan, uh, we are all excited. there's a bounce there's a bounce in the step in shape its arena right now because uh, we had as competitive a team as there was in the country uh, on March twelfth when everything got shut down. We've got that team and then some right now. The team has done a uh, Travis and his staff have done an unbelievable job of preparing them. They've had a great off season. Uh, they're in shape and ready to go. You've got three seniors. You've got Jordan Goodwin, who is leading like I've never seen. You've got Hassan French, who had as good a scrimmage the other night as I've ever seen him have. And you've got Javante Perkins, who can flat out, um, you know, the joke around the office is he's just a professional scorer. Um, he kind of has that Danny Mack scoring ability. Oh, yeah. So it's it's pretty impressive. Well, but, Chris, uh,
1: you know, you, you you miss the shots you don't take. That's always been my theory. So
3: Well, you, you two have the same theory, and I, I don't know what do. you're – I don't know what your per- shooting percentage is, but I really like <laughs> J.P.'s. Um, good choice. But, uh, you know, you got those guys. Yuri Collins uh, looks like he grew an inch. T.J. Hargrove put on about 15 pounds and looks great. Marius Jacobs has had a good offseason. Uh, you go on down the line, and they, um, they're in a great space. Gibson Jimerson is healthy and is shooting the ball better than I've ever seen him shoot it. He was pretty good last year before he went down. And so then you got some newcomers. So it's uh, it is really an exciting time. Um, the the thought of being able to start competing is very exciting. That that's why you know when we're dealing with these other issues, you uh, it brings a little extra anxiety to the athletic director because Travis and his staff and and all of us have gone through a process to uh, help him really put a team together. And Travis has done a great job of putting a highly competitive group of student athletes that have come together. And so. You work hard to get in this position to now go make a run. And so uh, it's really an exciting time for us right now. The schedule continues to evolve. Um, The A-10 is loaded. The A-10 might have as good of a conference across the board as we've ever had. There's been some very, very high-end transfers, transfer into the Atlantic 10. And uh, but we like our chances, you know. You got senior leadership. You got guys who have been in the NCAA tournament before. I didn't even I didn't even bring up Fred Thatch. Fred Thatch sat out last year, and uh, he looks he looks unbelievable. So um, we are certainly uh, fired up about the season coming up. And like I tell everybody, we'll we'll get through the the starts and stops of the next sixty days. But come come late January, February, I am really. Fired up to see what this team can look like because we're going to uh, we're going to have a chance to uh, do some good stuff.
1: I can't imagine Chris scheduling right now. Talking with Travis the other day, he said it's kind of you know always evolving uh, because uh, you know a certain school has jurisdiction uh, guidelines and the conference is doing this and well you can't go here you can't do that. So as it pertains to SLU, a lot of a uh, lot of listeners are curious about that schedule. So how is it uh, shaping up for the Billikins?
3: <laughs> well, Danny, I would say it's fluid. Okay. Um, it we're going to have some high-end games in the non-conference that we're going to go play. We're going to get some regional home games, hopefully in December. Um, we're hoping to deliver a bunch of games on Fox Sports Midwest that aren't picked up through the uh, the Atlantic Ten packages. Um, we're we're a couple games away from being totally done, but uh, it, it again, it's an evolving process that seems to change somewhere between once and twice a day and uh it um but all that said our team will be ready when the times come and uh travis uh has done such a great job of bringing them along really done a good job of uh going through the summer and the fall process and their training and the and the not going too fast Ah, uh, this is a big-time marathon that we don't know when the end date is. So uh, it's we'll uh, we will be ready, and uh, hopefully the schedule will be done in the next week, ten days at the ultimate longest.
1: Fans in the stands too tough to tell at this point, Chris. What what do you think about that?
3: I think it is too tough to tell. We've had some great conversations with the city, Dan, um, but uh, aren't done with those until we have the final schedule that we're ready to prepare and say here's where we are and this is what we're trying to do. Um, but a lot of it will depend on how the COVID numbers are in our community. Um, we, we need those, uh, those numbers to look uh, on the positive side um, in order to get approval uh, to have fans in the stands. So as you and I have spoken, what we hope to do is get competing, uh, get, get into a process where we can figure out what we can do safely. We've had great support from both the city and the, and the campus. Uh, the campus has helped us so much in going through this fall and all the protocols for all the different sports. We have had huge support from Dr. Postello, Dr. Cherry Redman, and all the people who are running the campus uh, COVID process, and they work with the city every day. So it's uh, it's been a, a good process. We're not we're not ready yet to make the official request um, from the fans' perspective, but I, I think we will have to walk before we run in that space.
1: I'll wrap it up with this. Uh, how often are you on the phone with any of your coaches, number one, and saying, well, we're dealing with this issue, we're dealing with that issue, something that you probably never thought about before in your position, and you've been doing this a long time. And then secondly, how often are you on the phone with your counterparts around the country saying, how are you dealing with this? What's going on with your, you know, your school, your administration, that kind of thing, and just trying to to get through this all truly together?
3: Uh, I'd say six to ten times a day uh, between the two of your questions.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, it, it's nonstop, uh, bagging the phones, doing Zoom calls. Uh, spoke to, I've spoke to three ADs today. I've talked to four or five coaches today. Um, and what, what I'm really encouraged about on the local scene is that our coaches have just done a great job. They have totally focused on our values, which is all about st- delivering for the student athlete. we That's our whole deal. How do we help them get a great education at SLU? How do we help them compete for championships? How do we help them give back to this unbelievable community we're in? So, I could not be more proud of what they've done. Uh, from, the, from the colleague's perspective, you talk to, with people all the time. I've got one call yet here today from somebody on the West Coast. I want to learn a little bit more about what they're doing from a protocol perspective. Um, there's Everybody's trying to learn all the time. And uh, put your teams in the very best position. What I will tell you, what 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 you feel great about, is wow, everybody nationally knows how competitive our men's basketball team is going to be, and that's what uh, really encourages you and and keeps you fired up because uh, the work it, it won't be a surprise by anybody of uh, how competitive the Billikens are going to be this winter.
1: Chris, I know you're busy. Thank you so much. Uh, let's get Billiken basketball on the floor as quickly as we can. Really appreciate your time and thank you again.
3: Damn, we appreciate it. Thank you. We we can't wait to see you and uh, Scott uh, in the arena doing games real soon. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mack
0: in podcast form on 101 ESPN.
1: We've got this week in hockey coming up. Alex Ferrario, Joey Vitale. I wanted Alex to come in. I love broadcasting. I love the art of broadcasting. I love great broadcasters. So one of them, one of the all-time best, just announced that he's hanging up the mic, so to speak, and that is... Mike Emmerich and Alex you have got him coming up at six o'clock tonight on this week in hockey looking forward to it I do Dan and uh I always appreciate a good pun so uh, I like what you did there (laughs) I didn't mean to do it though it just went that way it
4: was fantastic thank you I appreciate that no I mean look Dan Doc Emmerich I mean a legend in my eyes and you know I'm a lot younger of course and um you know still you appreciate broadcasters like Al Michaels. You appreciate what he's done. You appreciate what Joe Buck has done for the game. And Vince Scully, doc Emmerich is that guy that when you think of the NHL, the first thing that comes to mind is doc Emmerich because of the ability of calling games and, and just the voice that goes with it, the excitement that goes with it and the Joey, verbiage. Yes. The verbiage, <laughs> which I got a great story about that, Dan, before we play a couple of cuts to, to tease doc. And I appreciate you having me on. So, uh, back in November this year, that was when I got to call my first NHL game because Kerber was doing the MAC awards, and I took over for him on that one game. Never called an NHL broadcast before, of course. My own, my hockey experience was college and youth. I printed out the Doc Emmerich verbiage. Someone put an Excel sheet together of the words he uses to move the puck. I printed it out and brought it with me that night and had it there so I could try and you know expand my vocabulary I was terrible at it. I think I used like three words in the entire night. But it was still something cool to have when you talk about
1: Doc Emmerich and being an influence on your broadcasting career. He's amazing. And it's not just the NHL, what he did for so many years, and the New Jersey Devils, his home team for so many years, did the Flyers for a little bit yeah. too, uh, but the international competition. So if you love you know, the Olympics, which I do, the Olympic hockey, especially with the professional players, I, I try not to miss any of the games, whether United States is in it or not, mm-hmm. because it's such an international game. You're seeing the best in the world. And that's where I thought he was was just incredible yeah. over the years.
4: And the excitement with it, too. Like, he got you so excited for the simplest of plays, and it's like you were glued to the television. So a couple of cuts, Dan, I want to play for you. And, then, Scott, if you got these ready. So this was from our chat. Uh, with Doc Emmerich this week in hockey tonight from 6 to 7. First one, Scotty, let's play him talking about the differences of broadcasting on the remote, because of course, he calls it a career the same year that the pandemic hits, where he was broadcasting postseason from his home Amazing. in Indiana.
5: There was one that wasn't different that you think would have been. The far winger Uh, Whether you're doing a game in St. Louis or wherever it is, they usually have us way up high and way back. St. Louis is one of the better locations for for television. Uh, The far winger is sometimes hard to pick up because it's a four-inch sleeve number you're going for. Not the back of the jersey, but the side of the jersey. And an eight and a nine, the difference is only about a quarter-inch of material. And sometimes a 28 and a 29, if they're both right-wingers, which seems to be the curse, Uh, You can get mixed up, and I hate misidentifying players. That was no different in the arena or on television. I was getting the same picture that everyone was getting at home. But the two things that I noticed that were different were whenever there were line changes, uh, the picture at home was, of course, of a defenseman standing behind the net holding the puck while both teams or one team at least were making a change. And the second thing was there were oftentimes five players standing in front of the goalie, a couple from one team and three from another. And if you were doing a series involving Chicago and and, uh, Vegas, that meant that there were a lot of black pants, maybe a red jersey over black (laughs) pants and a white jersey or a black jersey over black pants, depending on who the home team was. And it was hard to find it in there because the camera was following the puck. And so once that shot was taken from the point, the camera was following the puck, and there were times that you didn't know who it hit when it went in, whether it was deflected or whether it was a clean shot. So I did get help from our truck, and sometimes it was relayed through Eddie Olchek or Brian Boucher. So those were the two occasions where it was not as clean as it might have been had I been in the arena, but I got a lot of help. From the guys back there. So
4: that was a long cut. I apologize on that, Dan. But I'm I'm assuming you went through the same oh, yeah.
1: experience, right? Oh yeah, doing baseball games and trying to guess off the bat if it's a home run or a lazy fly ball to left. Sometimes guys take a massive cut, and all of a sudden it's a little lazy fly ball to left because they didn't quite get it. So we did the same thing. I, the monitor that you saw at home, was the monitor or TV that I called the games yeah. off of that when the team was on the road. Yeah, it's. It's not easy. It's it's hard to do, but that is awesome with Doc Emery.
4: And the jersey thing got me too because yes. think about that. I mean, from an eight and a nine, when you're watching on a television, that's a that's a little piece of material that you're trying to figure out who the heck that was.
2: And
1: we were trying to figure out who's on deck, who's warming up, yes. did they double switch, who's uh, doing this, that, and the other. And you know, I did. I had two monitors. Well, I had various monitors, but two monitors the one i saw which is the one that you got at home and yeah. then the other one was it looked like a bunch of ants on the field to see if a guy <laughs> had a shift or if they were taking a lead or stealing or whatever it's so incredible it really is so i
4: got one more dan i want to play for you because the the thing with doc emmerich is he's not a stats guy he, he doesn't give stats on the broadcast which i think is interesting because if you listen to other broadcasters they go numbers they go number heavy oh well he's got this many shots this amount of time on ice Doc goes stories and he tells an incredible story, which it's not on this cut, but you'll hear it tonight on the show about how he remembers Joe Vitale in a game. (laughs) And Joe scored maybe like 14 goals in his NHL career, but he remembers a specific game that Joey scored with a puck that bounced off of his face into the back of the net. So you got to listen for that. But here's doc explaining why he only remembers stories and not stats.
5: It's not very hard, Joe, because I can't remember statistics. That's why they're written down. But years ago, I think for the first Olympics I did in 1992, it was drummed into our heads by CBS before John Davidson and Mike Arruzzione and I went over to Alberville that people remember stories long after they remember statistics or numbers about players. And if there's a story about someone that is lasting, you remember it forever.
4: Isn't that the truth? No just simple name drop too there, John Davidson Mike Arizzioni. Yeah. Not yeah. a big deal. Not right? a big deal at all. But, but he goes through a bunch of them, Dan. You know, he talks about with us his uh his favorite broadcast, and I mean this is forty five plus years of national, local broadcasting and he gives his favorite stories. Um, he talks about why he decided to call it a career. And he did tell us that, you know, he's still in the bullpen for NBC. So if they ever need him, it's just a matter of a phone call and broadcasting, but uh, he's a big animal lover. Of course he's married. So him and his wife are going to enjoy some time with his dogs. And it was, it was a phenomenal conversation that I know you've talked with doc a lot, Dan, yep. and just gave me, gave me goosebumps just listening to him talk about his career. So I encourage people to listen tonight.
1: Great stuff. Love it. Dan, Thanks for bringing me on, buddy. You got it. Alex Ferrario, he'll be with Joey Vitale tonight. That's 6 to 7 this week in hockey, and the special guest is Doc Emmerich. Back to wrap it up. Cross it over next on 101.
0: More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN.
1: Appreciate Alex coming in, and he'll be with Ribs and BK. That is next on 101 ESPN. And uh, BK, you know... Yeah, there's a little shutdown in sports. We don't have hockey going on, no NBA, but we still get college football. We get the hot stove, kind of, in baseball. So what do you got uh, going on? So I don't know if you've seen this yet, but Bob
4: Nightingale had a massive report that just came out here a little bit ago that apparently Nolan, Nolan. Francisco Lindor, rather, I've had Nolan Arenado on my mind for the last couple of days. I wonder why. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Francisco Lindor is apparently officially available. He is likely to be traded this offseason, so we'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit. We've got Derek Gould, St. Louis Post-Dispatch Cardinals beat writer. He will join us coming up at 12.15, and Joey Vitale is going to join us coming up at 1.30. I was told when I accepted this job that Jamie never missed a shift. He is not going to be in today. He is skipping his shift. He's opted out for today. It's an opt-out, So We've one. got Alex Ferrario in with us. Uh, he's going to be co-hosting with me today.
1: Love it. Looking forward to it. Rives BK and alex coming up next
0: you have been listening to the tv voice
3: of the st louis cardinals scoops with danny mack on 101 espn